Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I was in Kansas City to watch the 33-29 Browns loss to the Chiefs. It was an exciting game filled with big moments. Here to break it all down with me is Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. Dave, how are you? Scott, I'm a little uh, disappointed, as everyone else is in (laughs) Cleveland, with the outcome. But in all reality, I mean, I think everyone feels the same way, you know, that there are... You hear it everywhere, right? No moral victories, but you know what? They they looked pretty darn good. And other than the second half meltdown, you know, I think I speak for everyone that, uh, you know, I, I think everyone's excited and feels good. But at the same time, you know, you want to get that win when you have the uh, chance to, to get it. And is that kind of the way you felt walking out of there that, uh, you know, they let it slip away? Yeah, I certainly thought they let it slip away, especially when they're up, what was it, 29-20 with, 1024 left you think okay you know and as a writer um i'm starting to you know and i have to post something right after the game ends i'm starting to think all right i got to write my they win story you know it was <laughs> yep. it was last time they were here they lost in the playoffs this time they didn't uh and then all of a sudden Mahomes <laughs> hits tyree kill with that 75 yard and it's like all right well i guess i have to have my Second lead written, you know, that they lost again or they blew the lead, whatever it turned out. Oh, being. come on, Scott. You're a veteran <laughs> in Cleveland. You didn't have the they lose article ready well, to go as well. I had the lead started, but <laughs> you can only write so much. Like you can't have two complete stories going. So you have to kind of lean toward one. So I was leaning toward winning until Gillen dropped the punt and then I uh, switched. So we'll get into all the big plays a little bit more. But the overall, um, I think the overall takeaway, you're right, Chud, is – Yes, they should have finished, but I think you have to take a lot of consolation in the fact that they were in a position where they were leading the Chiefs by 12 points at halftime. And they did a lot of good things right. And if there's a loss that you can take away from week one and go, hey, I feel maybe better about this team, I think that's the kind of loss. It's a four-point loss on the road to arguably the best team in the league, and you walk away feeling you should have won. So – I think, you know, Miles Garrett said it wasn't encouraging, but I beg to differ a little bit. I I think fans can still be encouraged by what went down Sunday. Speaking of fans, before we get into all, I mean, we're going to get into a lot here, no doubt. Um, The the top things I wanted to ask you right away were how we should feel. And I think we just kind of covered that. What was it like there, though? I mean, that place, I've, I've never been. It just seems so loud. And also, it seemed like there were a lot of Browns fans. I mean, I heard barking in the background over the TV. And I know from the stories, uh, Will Uick was there for us for uh, Channel 3. And he uh, was live with us on uh, Monday morning. And he was there all weekend. And he did a lot of stories on the fans. And it seemed like, and, and we all know that the Browns are the best fans. And they're everywhere. But it really seemed like they showed up big time. They did. There were, there were a bunch on the planes, you know, the flights to Kansas City. Uh, me and some of the other writers were spread across different flights and everybody had stories about how there were Browns fans all over their flights. Um, walking around Kansas City, we stayed in that country club plaza area and you saw a bunch of Browns fans. And then where we parked, you know, we parked in the parking lot outside of the Arrowhead Stadium and there's all kinds of tailgating going on. And obviously it's, you know, whatever it is, 95% Chiefs, 90% Chiefs, but there were enough Browns fans, Browns jerseys sprinkled in that there was a presence there. Uh, but that stadium is something. It gets loud 
I tell you what, the press box does a pretty good job of sealing out some of the noise or a lot of the noise because you could hear it when it would get crazy, right? But, like, when the Browns scored, it felt like the stadium was completely silent. And obviously it wasn't. There's still noise going on. Um, but so that's, you know, kind of the press box. And some aren't like that. Like, in Denver, the press box shakes. It gets really loud. Um, <laughs> it just felt better soundproofing. But they're a huge, you know, they're a loud crowd. Uh, you can tell just walking around that city. You can tell in the parking lot before the game. Um, you know, they, they love their Chiefs, and obviously they were – excited and thrilled to be back is a full crowd in the stadium, just like I expect first energy stadium to be absolutely jumping on Sunday because it's been so long since there's been whatever, 66, 68,000 there. Funny you say that because the story I'm working on, that's going to air Friday morning on go on channel three, my piece is on that exact topic Mm -hmm. about how we're finally back at home. 2019 the last time you had a, a, a full house and and even then there are probably a lot of empty seats right because you know the, the way the season turns out for sure game, yeah so you're gonna have a packed house on Sunday and that's my exact point that um you gotta have what I want to see happen and we'll, let's talk more about this later because I don't want to get off topic we got to yeah. finish up with the game but I want this is my point I want to see that stadium packed and rocking so loud that Cleveland becomes a place that other teams fear to come into kind of like Kansas city, like new England was with Brady, like yeah. green Bay is like, that's the way it needs to be. And, and they need to take care of that home field advantage. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you, you can include Seattle. I think you can include Denver when they're winning. And yep. I think the, I think the old stadium was like that, right? You get 80,000 people down in there, you know, the AFC championship game, um, I brought that up, right? The so Jets. You, 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 yeah. did, did you read my piece? I have not. <laughs> I have not. So I did not get a sneak preview. <laughs> that's what I brought up. I brought up the old stadium and how it was in the '80s when they came in. And I actually mentioned Seattle and Green Bay. You, I, I forgot that I mentioned Seattle. You're right on. And I also include Pittsburgh in that. I mean, yeah. those are the the type of places, right? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And it's all about. I mean, Baltimore gets loud. It's but it's a it's that winning tradition, right? It's if you built it up, if there's a reason to cheer, if there's a reason to go crazy and you know, I, I, you've seen glimpses of it in the last 20 years, obviously not nearly enough. Um, You would have seen a lot in that week 17 game against the Steelers last year when they clinched the playoff, but you know, they're only whatever 16, 20,000 fans in the stadium. Um, So you haven't gotten that whole experience. Maybe the run William run, right in 2002 when they went to the playoffs, maybe that was the last time there was that much reason to cheer um, late in the season when it really counted. You know, there's been excitement for openers. You know, that 2019 opener, um, there was a lot of excitement, and they come out and they lay a huge egg against Tennessee, right? So you just couldn't sustain that cheering. Um, there was a game – I wish I could remember. There was a big game, or I want to say early in the year – and I remember thinking, this place is going to be crazy. And then the Browns came out and gave up and didn't play well early. And maybe it was 2014 when they got up to that good start with Hoyer. And I thought, okay, the stadium's really going to be going here. And then, oh, you, know, it, 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 you know, what it was when Johnny started, right? It was when Johnny, yeah. they made the change to Johnny. And you thought, okay, this place could go nuts. And then they lose 30 to three or whatever the score was. And it just never, it feels like this team has never given the fans that opportunity to 
like really invest in for that excitement to go to the next level. They've kind of cut the legs out from underneath the excitement. And obviously I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think they're going to come out and play well all year long. And that starts uh, or it started in Kansas city, but it really started home Sunday against the Texans. And I think the fans will have plenty of reason to cheer and get loud. Like we remember them. If you're old enough to remember. Yeah, I feel I feel sorry for the fans that haven't gotten to experience that on an every Sunday basis like we had with Bernie and right. and the Browns back in the 80s and got a little bit of it in the early 90s. And uh, I also remember, too, that you brought up Will, Run, William, Run. And I remember there was a Bears game that year. I think it was a 4 o'clock. I, I can't remember, but I remember it got – yeah, it was a 4 o'clock because so it got dark mm. and it was like a huge game. I remember that. So there's there's a few of them that have happened, but it would be nice to get it to where – these younger Browns fans that haven't experienced that could uh, dial in on what that's like. Cause you know, there's nothing better in the NFL when you have those types of games for sure. Oh, no so, doubt. Well, let's go back to Kansas city uh, before we get to the, uh, the second half meltdown, boy, what a first half. I mean, how aggressive they were. They scored what on their first three possessions. Yep. I mean, watching them in the first half. And I told you this before we started, uh, I'm like, wow, this team could win 13 or, 14 games. Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) who's going to beat these guys? You know, I mean, it was incredible. It was like, they are unbelievable. And that, that for what a first half. It really was. It it shows the potential of this offense. It shows what Kevin Stefanski and his staff can do when they have that much time to prepare. Right. I mean, that's what Andy Reid is famous for is he doesn't lose openers. He doesn't lose after the bye week And I, I think you see some similarities in Stefanski, the creativity, in his game plan, the intelligence of the game plan. Um, See, so yeah, I mean, they had everything working. You know, I'm, you know, I rewatched the most of the game this morning and just taking some notes. You know, Austin Hooper got involved and in helped pick up that first first fourth down they went for, which showed the aggressiveness that Kevin Stefanski was going to coach with all game long. Right? They went for it on fourth and three. They get the encroachment on the point and the extra point, and they go for two. Like, you have to be aggressive, and he says we're going to be aggressive, period. But you definitely have to be more aggressive when you're playing an offense like the Chiefs because you can't take three. If you get a chance to go for two instead of one, you have to do it, and Stefanski knows that. And he did it, and the Browns capitalized. Um, Anthony Schwartz, right? In my opinion, he played as much as he did because Odell Beckham Jr. was inactive. So he took advantage, and the Browns – need that speed on the field. And Odell gives you similar speed, not quite the same speed as Schwartz, but he gives you deep down the field speed. But somebody has to give that to you. And this week it was Schwartz, and the Browns took advantage of that with the reverse, the uh, you know the deep corner out that he caught for a long game. They hit him on some other plays. And that speed, if you add that speed element to this offense, it just opens up so many more things. And then you have you know, the ground and pound with Nick Chubb and the offensive line doing what the offensive line did and David Njoku making catches and Jarvis Landry scoring on that inside handoff on fourth and one on the jet sweep action. So, yeah, I mean, everything is working. And I haven't even mentioned Baker Mayfield, who made good throw after good throw after good throw and good decision after good decision in that first half. So, yeah, it was, you know, I think it was a template of just how good this offense can be. Was Stefanski aggressive like that, Scott, because of the kicker situation? If, if you have one of the best kickers in the league and he's healthy uh, or you even have an average kicker, but with their situation they're dealing with, was that why he 
went for that fourth down and, and also went for two, or do you think he would have done that regardless? I think regardless. I, and I think, I mean, he, he got asked about it and said, no, that's how we play. And I do think they, the organization leans toward that and the analytics lean toward going for fourth and shorts and going for two, if you can. But to me, the overriding factor is who you're playing. And no matter how slow a start the Chiefs would get, wind up getting off to, you knew they were going to score points. And you knew they weren't – I mean, you know, even after they attended the first half, I mean, I expected the Chiefs to get to 27, right? And they wound up getting to 33, and that winds up being the difference in the game. But if you know the Chiefs are going to score 30, let's say, and you're the offensive coach for the Browns and Kevin Stefanski, you have to think in your head, how do I get to 31? And you can't kick 10 field goals, right? It's got to be touchdowns. So even if he had Justin Tucker, um, I think Stefanski would have gone for it there. Let's jump ahead to the second half now, and, and we have to get to the meltdown. Now, I'm not going to include Baker's interception just yet because we're going to really dissect Baker here in a second, and also because they were losing at the time. And, you know, at that point, you're trying to come back to win. Right. I want to talk about the three plays where you have the lead. And, and this is kind of how I feel about it. The Chubb fumble, listen, that stuff happens. It sucks. It's a guy that normally doesn't do that. That kind of turned the tide, right? It kind of mm-hmm. brought a little momentum to Kansas City. But ultimately, I think they could have overcome that. I'm really upset with that touchdown to Hill. I just can't believe they let that happen. They go up by nine points. And I mean, you are up nine points and you let that play happen. It's just brat. It's backbreaking. Right. And then the fumbled punt. That's just, I mean, that's the nail in the coffin to me right there. Uh, so I guess if I'm looking at it, you know, the, the long touchdown pass and the fumbled punt bother me more than the other stuff. Yeah. I, I'm with you. First of all, Nick Chubb is Mr. Reliable, right? Probably the most reliable, dependable guy on the team. So he doesn't put the ball on the ground very often. You know, he took responsibility and said, yes, it was a huge play in the game and it changed momentum. And it did to an extent. Um, The defense held the Chiefs to a field goal, which was big. And then the offense went down and scored. So scored a touchdown. So that wasn't the end of the world, but it helped start the slide. Uh, but I, I give Chubb a pass just for all the good he always does. And, you know, guys fumble, right? If you carry the ball a bunch of times, you're going to fumble from time to time. Um, I, I'm with you on the other two. Now, I'll, I'll go kind of reverse order. The Gillen drop punt, it's, it's just unexplainable. Like, I bet, and I, and I wrote this, and, you know, I mean, I'm just guessing on my math here, but I think if you snapped him a 1,000 balls, he catches 999. I know it's more than 99 out of 100, right? Because that's what I first written. And I'm like, no, that's not enough because I've seen him catch 100 punts. He's, only, he's never dropped one. So, you know, whether it's 499 out of 500 or 999 out of 1,000, he just, that just doesn't happen. And it, it comes at a terrible time. Uh, you know, <laughs> is it just jitters? It's his first punt of the year, although he'd held on a couple of, you know, extra points, I believe, by then. I know he had. Um, and he caught those just fine. And that's a tougher assignment, catching the hold for an extra point or a field goal than catching the punt snap that hit you chest high. Um, so it's just, it's terrible timing. 
maybe he was nervous. Maybe the big moment got to him, but I mean, he's kicked in big moments. He's kicked in the NFL. I, I just think it's one of those things that happens and it's terrible timing and we probably won't see it ever happen again to Gillen. Now he really compounded well, the real, mistake. Yeah, go ahead. Judge. Well, real Oh, you maybe you were going to add on there. I was going to say, not only does he drop it, but wh- wh- why doesn't he still try to punt it? Kick the freaking ball. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that I was just gonna say, he compounded the mistake. And, I, you know, I'm trying to explain, you know, in my head, we haven't talked to Jamie yet, but he's moving to the right and he's a left footed kicker. So maybe he thinks it's hard, it's going to be harder to get that kickoff. Maybe he expected the rush to be in his face, but he had time, he had room. And he winds up getting tackled on the 15. If he gets off a 30-yard punt or 25-yard punt, right, whatever it is, I mean, that's that's a huge difference, right? That's two more first downs, three more first downs. You give the defense a shot to hold Kansas City to a field goal. And it, it, was, a, it was a dumb mistake. And Kevin Stefanski said as much yesterday when we talked to him that he's got to know he's got time to kick it. Um you know, maybe his rugby background played into it. Like, hey, I, I'm used to having the ball. Maybe I can make something happen. He's not going to make anything happen in the NFL. Uh, now, Stefanski, Stefanski spoke for him, though, right? Didn't he say that um, he he admitted that he messed up? He said he knows. He said he knows it. He knows that he yeah. should have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of good it does now, right? So that's a huge okay. mistake. Um, and, and then we'll go to Johnson. And Johnson's felt more like something that was a mental breakdown. And I know physically he got turned around and his eyes in the wrong spot, but he told us during the week, I can't let anyone get behind me. That's my number one job as a safety. Well, you got the fastest guy in football and one of the fastest guys in football in Tyree kill. You're the last line of defense there. It felt like, zone coverage because there's nobody else there. It's just Johnson and Hill, which maybe that's a, a scheme issue that there was only one guy on Hill and it was your safety 50 yards downfield. But he can't let that happen. He's got to keep Hill in front of him. Got to keep his eyes on Hill as opposed to maybe peeking in the backfield, whatever the situation. Um, huge play. And it, it, it kept the momentum in the Chiefs' favor, right? We talked about the Chubb fumble where the Chiefs come out and they score to start the third quarter. And then the Chubb fumble. And then the Chiefs field goal, right? So it's all going the Chiefs' way. And then the Browns put together that long drive, score a touchdown, restore a nine-point lead. And it's like, all right, there's – it's you know, we're kind of stabilized things. If you're the Browns, one play, 75 yards, 14 seconds, and that bit of stability is immediately erased. And even if you make the Chiefs go 75 yards in five minutes – it feels different, right? You chew up clock. It, you know, you have the momentum for at least a while in the inability of the defense and specifically John Johnson, the third on that play to prevent it. It was a huge moment in the game. So yeah, I, I would agree with your listing of the priorities there, Chud, but I will say this. And when you look at them in, look at them in totality and we talk about, man, the Chiefs are so hard to play, which they are. And Mahomes is so good, which he is. All that stuff is true. And you say, well, the margin for error is slim. That's true, too. But the Browns did not need to be perfect to win this game. I mean, we saw it, right? We just pointed out three mistakes. We're going to talk about Baker's interception. That's four, you know, four big, crucial things that go against the Browns in the last, in the second half. 
if they only make three of those crucial mistakes, they probably win this game, right? So they didn't need to be perfect. They needed to play really well, but you can afford, I, I think they showed that they're talented enough and coached well enough and have matured enough that they can get by with having some mistakes and still beat the Chiefs, just not as many as they had. And I could include Rodney Harris getting ejected. You can include left tackle Jedrick Rills leaving with an ankle injury, right? Odell Beckham Jr. didn't play. Grant Delpit didn't play. And I know the Chiefs had some issues too. But from a Browns perspective, it's not like everything in the world went perfectly and they still couldn't win. There were plenty of obstacles that they overcome. They just couldn't overcome every last one of them. Man, that's some excellent insight. Uh, well said. Agreed. One, one thing before we move on, though. It's just so Cleveland, though. If I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Did you see all the, the Gillen posts, like how he hadn't punted? And, uh, I mean, all the people, like, putting a picture of him just standing there. Oh, like, no. <laughs> did you see all that? No, I, I mean, didn't. That's just so Cleveland, right? Like, all day on Twitter, you just see, hey, the Browns haven't punted yet. The Browns haven't punted. Oh, this offense is amazing. What's he doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then that happens, you know? It's right. just like, you know, you can't, you can't make it up. But one, <laughs> one thing about the defense, though, before we get into Baker, What's frustrating about it is that's the reason they, they when they lost last year, they struggled. I, and, and, and we've talked to how many podcasts over and over, yeah. how they shored up the defense to make sure that didn't happen again. So here's my question. Is this more of a product of Mahomes and you just played probably the best team in the AFC, arguably, right? I mean, yeah, they, yeah. He could, it's tough to say they're not. Two-time so defending my, champs. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess my question to you is, should we still be concerned about this defense and giving up big plays and, and struggling to stop the pass like they did last year? Or do you feel like it's going to be okay and this is just, hey, we just played the best? Yeah, I, I go more toward that, Chud. I think it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to make any um, big judgments about this defense when the only time you've seen it is against the Chiefs. I saw reasons, to, reasons, to hope, reasons for hope. From this defense, I thought Greg Newsom played well. I mean, you didn't hear his name very often. And now he wasn't covering Tyree Kill a lot. Like, I watched the first half, and I was trying to break it down. And first of all, the Browns played a ton of zone. And I understand that. If you're Joe Woods, you say, okay, let's make Patrick Mahomes go 75 yards in seven minutes, right, in, in seven-minute drives. Make him do chunks. Make him go eight plays. If they get a penalty, then maybe they have to kick a field goal. We get a tip ball, right? We get a sack, and it stops a drive. Um, I, I think that is probably the right way to play the Chiefs. Um, but if you have that philosophy, then you can't give up the one 75-yard touchdown, right? So, I mean, I think they had the right plan, except they didn't execute that part of the plan, and it really bit them in the butt. Um, but going back to Newsom, so they played a lot of zone. He wasn't matched up on Tyreek Hill when Tyreek Hill was a one-on-one -on -one matchup that I noticed in the watch in the first two and a half quarters. Um, it was Denzel Ward in that one-on-one. -on -one. But still, the, the Chiefs have a lot of weapons, and Newsom was not giving up plays. I think that's a good sign. Uh, Malik McDowell, the defensive tackle, started, played a bunch, and flashed. Not only did he have the TFL tackle for loss on the first play, he showed up other times. He drew a holding call on a pass rush, made a play down the line of scrimmage at the beginning of the third quarter. I think that's a positive sign up that Anthony Walker in the middle, um, middle linebacker, showed some speed and did some things. Jeremiah Rusukormo, I think, needs to get better, but you saw him out there, the rookie getting his feet wet. So 
Yeah, I, I think this defense is going to continue to grow. I think John Johnson III is going to be fine. I think he's a really good acquisition. But, yeah, it's, it's the Chiefs. It's, it's nearly impossible to stop Patrick Mahomes, and it's nearly impossible to stop Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Kill. Now, yeah, Malcolm Smith could have done a better job on Kelsey on a couple of those red zone things, right? And, uh, you know, maybe he's the wrong guy, but I think the Browns trusted him as, as their linebacker. If they wanted to go one-on-one, he, they trusted him. And that's just a really difficult matchup. So I'm not ready to make any big conclusions about this defense. I'm certainly not ready to say Joe Woods should be fired or is in a hot seat or anything crazy like that. It's the Chiefs, and I thought the plan was the right plan. And they got a couple of stops that gave them a chance, right? Miles Garrett gets a sack in the final three minutes to give the offense a final chance to win the game. And if the offense had gone down and won the game, we'd be talking more about this defense getting a critical stop or two or three and Miles Garrett making a huge sack at a big time. Well, I'm glad you brought him up. I was just about to ask you, he had that huge sack. How do you feel he played overall? Was he the difference maker that he needs to be? Yeah, I, I think he played well. I, I thought he won the matchup with Orlando Brown, you know, who playing left tackle. They, the Chiefs traded for him from Baltimore. Uh, I thought Miles is in the background – or background, backfield a lot. He hit Mahomes multiple times. Again, it's Mahomes makes things so difficult on every part of that defense that even if even if Clowney and Garrett would win the rush around the edge, Mahomes would just fill that vacancy. And he knows it's coming. He steps up. And it's just really hard for a defense and a defensive end. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, Miles jumped off sides two times. Um and, you know, he said he didn't think they were good calls. I rewatched them. I thought they were good calls. He flinches on both of them. Um, needs to be more careful about that. But, yeah, I, I thought Miles played at a high level. Uh, you know, if you're thinking, okay, you know, like Chandler Jones gets five sacks. That's not going to happen against Patrick Mahomes. We saw it in the Super Bowl. Even when there's pressure, he doesn't take a sack. Like, he's got that much escapability to him. So, to get a huge sack in a huge moment and to get pressure, I thought, pretty consistently – I thought Garrett and the D-line played pretty well. You know, I, I think if you're looking for, okay, if they meet again in the playoffs, you need the whole pass rush to win. You need the interior pressure to win just as much as the exterior because you can't give Mahomes that easy kind of lane. And I, I thought he did have a lane to step up into enough where he could neutralize Garrett and Clowney. Sticking with the defense, one last thing. How about the Harrison-Greg Lewis situation? Obviously, they lose Harrison. That hurts the defense, right? And in general, I mean, that was just a bunch of BS. I mean, first of all, (laughs) Harrison can't put his hands on a coach. That that can't happen. But, the I mean, what Lewis, I mean, he can't be touching Harrison either. The whole thing was a disaster. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you said it well there, Judd. Um, From a football perspective – Losing your starting safety five snaps in is terrible. Grant Delpit was inactive because he's still coming back from that hamstring. So the choices were rookie Richard LeCount III and converted cornerback MJ Stewart Jr. And they went with Stewart as the second starting safety when Harrison got ejected. That hurt the defense. Not that Stewart made any huge gaffes, but he's not Ronnie Harrison, right? They practice all the time with Harrison. Harrison's a playmaker. Harrison's much bigger and physic, more physical 
than Stewart. So I think it changes what Joe Woods could do with his secondary. Um, from the actual ejection perspective, I did not think Harrison did anything dirty when he tried to get up. I thought he kind of got bumped into and his foot got caught up and he didn't mean to step on um, Edward Solaire on the ground. Um, I thought it was incidental and so did Kevin Stefanski. Now I understand what Greg Lewis, the assistant coach for the, the running backs coach for the Chiefs saw, and I can understand how your instincts would be to support your guy. But like J.C. Treader said, you can't have coaches laying hands on the opposition, the opposing players. You just can't have it. And so, yeah, I, I think there should be some discipline for Lewis. Now, I don't know if he should have been ejected for that. I mean, you can make that argument, and I wouldn't fight you on it. Um, but I also don't think his ejection would have had any <laughs> any impact on the outcome, right? Um, they would have figured out what to do without one more assistant, you know, you got 18 assistant coaches. They would have figured it out. Um, right. Now he'll probably be fine. And I think he should be fine. Harrison will be fine and he should be fine. And I think Harrison should have been ejected. You can't hit a coach like he did. And I, I do think there were degrees there. And I thought Lewis's push was something that you see, right? You try to get a guy off the pile he's trying to, you know, he's sticking up for his guys, trying to push him away. And Harrison, I mean, he cocked him. I know the hand was open and that mitigates it. It's probably why he's not going to be suspended, right? I got a league source telling me he's not going to be suspended. But, I mean, he, it was a big jolt to the upper chest neck area with way more force than Lewis showed him. And I, I thought he deserved ejection. Now, I understand that the Browns field Lewis should be punished as well. And I get that too, but that doesn't excuse Harrison and he can't retaliate there. And he hurt the team. All right. Well put. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> to get to the one and only Baker Mayfield. I know you all have been listening, waiting and wondering when we would get to him. It is time. Scott, overall, I thought he played well. I, I do. I thought the first half was tremendous. He showed, you know, what he's capable of doing again. He had a great end of the year last year. I don't blame him for this loss. I don't – If you mentioned earlier, if one of those three mistakes don't happen, certainly if two don't happen, I mean, we don't get to that final drive and needing a big play because he had already done enough to win the game, right? So I, I feel like he had him in a position to win. I don't put those mistakes on him. That said, he still had a chance to take him down the field and win this game. And if Baker Mayfield wants to be in the conversation with Patrick Mahomes and, and Tom, and I'm obviously going like to the best here, right? Yes, I don't, yes. I, but I'm, I'm making a point. If you want to be paid and you want to be considered the best in the business, you can't throw an interception there. And you have to be the guy that everyone is saying, wow, man. Baker's going to be the guy to bring him down the field to win this game because that's what Tom Brady does. That's what Aaron Rodgers does. That's what Patrick Mahomes does. That's what the best do. So in that essence, he had a chance there with the, you know, a, a huge game with a lot of people watching and, you know, he didn't come through. So that's the bottom line. I mean, I don't know how to sum it up any more than yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. I think everything you said is true. And he had a similar chance in January in the playoffs and was unable to do it, right? He had the ball in his hands with six minutes left and the Browns wound up having to punt. And you're right. If the Browns are going to get where they want to go, 
and we think that they can get there. Baker's going to have to play close to the level of the elite quarterbacks in the league. And that's Patrick Mahomes and all the guys you mentioned, right? Josh Allen. Um, now he played like that for the first half. He was nearly perfect. I mean, at the end of the game, he still, he had completed 75% of his patches, which is a big step up um, over last year. And especially over 2019, I thought he continued the progression that we saw in the second half of last season. I thought he looked confident. He threw the ball with accuracy. He threw the ball downfield. Well, there's a lot of positives to take away from Baker's performance. And I don't think the later interception um, takes all that away by any stretch of the imagination. I will say, if you're looking at the pantheon of quarterbacks or the, you know, how you view quarterbacks in the league, if Patrick Mahomes had the ball in the same situation, I would work under the assumption that he's going to lead the game winning drive or at least the go ahead drive. And I don't know if I'm at a place with Baker where I expect that. Now, I don't expect him not to, but it's okay. We have to see what happens to him, right? He led the winner against Cincinnati last year. We've seen him do it from time to time. So we know he can do it, but I'm not at the point where I expect him to do it, where I do with a Brady, like we saw on Thursday night, or, you know, a Patrick Mahomes, who we've seen do it plenty of times. And we saw him, you know, lead the fourth or the second half comeback on Sunday. So, uh, you know, I, I think you can look at Baker and be fair and say, yeah, he needs to get better in that area and he needs to, or, and he needs to prove it that he can do it time and again. And in the biggest games, and until he does, there's probably some kind of question mark. But I don't feel any – I feel better about Baker after week one than I did going into week one, and I felt really good about Baker going into week one. So I, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. I will say that on the interception, he's trying to throw the ball out of bounds. That's what he told us after the game. And Sorensen is grabbing his legs, and it forced the ball not to get as far. Baker's trying to throw it out of bounds. It doesn't get that far. It hangs up, and the guy picks it. Now, my argument is I thought the play was broken down beforehand, before Sorensen got to him, and Baker should have thrown the ball away or should have scrambled, and he could have avoided that situation if he'd made a quicker decision. Now, I understand he's trying to you know, prolong the play, and you have to try to make something happen down at the end of the game with no timeouts. I get that, but I still think there was – there was enough time on the clock where he should have thrown the ball away a second or two earlier and lived to play another down. And then you can't blame it on, well, he got hit while he was trying to throw it out of bounds. So that's my takeaway from that play. If we go big picture offense, obviously they started much better than they had in the playoff game. They're more explosive than they were in that playoff game a year ago. And that's partly Anthony Schwartz, who we mentioned, brings that speed element. David Njoku continued to play well. Um, Baker found those guys and hit those guys on nice, really nice deep throws. Now, you know, in the second half, the Browns only scored the one touchdown. And, you know, they had a punt, which came after a first down sack, and Baker blamed himself for that. Uh, it was the first, I think it was the first drive of the second half. But I could be, it could have been the drive where Gillen dropped the snap. I'm getting those confused. But the point is, Browns had the ball, first down, and Baker's supposed to throw a quick pass and he doesn't. And I think Jack Conklin's expecting a quick pass because he gets beat around the corner. And I think Conklin is like, well, I got to block down because we're going to get rid of a quick. And instead Baker holds it and gets sacked. 
And Baker took the blame on himself, as he did on a couple of penalties for not letting guys set. He snapped it too soon, or you know, he called for the snap too soon. Now, these are the little things that wound up fighting you, right? When you needed one more scoring drive, you can't afford to lose those five yards. You can't get a sack on first down and backs you up, and then you got to throw on second and third down when you know you like to run the ball and you like to eat some clock and you like to go on a long drive. So you know, Baker wasn't perfect even before the interception, but he was really, really good. And he recognizes everywhere that he needs to get better and make those improvements. And I think all those signs are positive, but he's just not at the Patrick Mahomes level right now. And the fact is there's not many guys that are. Yeah, true. But the thing is he had the ability, or I should say he had the chance to cover up those mistakes. So well, I don't, bl- again, I don't blame him for the loss and had those mistakes not happen, they probably win. Mm-hmm. That said, he had the chance and great elite quarterbacks cover up those mistakes, right? He had yeah. the chance to still win the game and, and come through for his team. Yeah. And, I, and, it, yeah. and it takes everyone. It's not just him. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And, you know, could he have still gotten the ball out of bounds, right? Is the guy's holding onto his leg? It felt like, Baker knew he could feel him around his legs and still tried to get the ball to bounds. Is he smarter there taking a sack, right? I mean, that's a, such a tough thing to criticize because you're in the moment and, you know, we obviously we have hindsight of the interception. Um, but those are the things you wonder, you know, how he handles those really tiny things at the critical moments differently. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's a play that you expect the best quarterbacks to make or – a drive you expect the great quarterbacks to lead. To lead. And, and I'll give you one more thing. And, again, it's small, and he didn't get help, right? He didn't get help on the John Johnson play. He didn't get help with the Chubb fumble. Like, so it's obviously not all on Baker. There's, there's Anybody who says it is is, you know, it's a ridiculous argument in my opinion. Oh, I don't even think right? it's close to all on Baker. Exactly. You're right, and it shouldn't be. But if we're picking apart Baker, which he can because we can because he's a quarterback, on the drive before – the last drive, right? They had a third and whatever, and he's got Anthony Schwartz running free on a deep corner to the left sideline, and Baker underthrows him. Now he doesn't underthrow him by a ton, but he underthrows him enough where the safety, Juan Thornhill, can get his hands in there. Now Schwartz said he should have caught the ball and hit him in the hands, but Thornhill gets his hands in there and breaks it up. It's not a drop, in my opinion. It's a pass breakup, but if Baker throws it over the left shoulder a little farther, I think Schwartz makes the catch and it's a big play and maybe the Browns go down and score earlier and then it's up to Mahomes to go win the game, right? And Baker said it, I need to make a better throw there. So these are the things we focus on when you lose a close game and you lose in the fourth quarter. And I've said it a, month, a billion times, we're one week in, Chud, and I've said it a billion times on this podcast. Baker's going to need to play great in big moments of big games. And that's the fourth quarter and he didn't play great in the big moments of the first big game. I didn't play poorly, you know, especially when you look at it in totality, but he didn't play great in those last couple of drives. And when we look at the season as a whole, it's a lot of it's going to be how does Baker play in those big moments? And I, I think he'll get better. I think he'll rise to the occasion, but I think it's fair to say it's still something we need to pay attention to. All right, a couple more things, and then let's wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, I just have uh, one name to throw at you, and I, I'm sure you can guess who it is. I can't. 
Odell Beckham oh. Jr. <laughs> I should have guessed that. <laughs> it's my bad. Um, yeah, it's interesting, Chuck. I've said forever that he's going to play week one because I've watched him show up for mini camp in June and then again for training camp in July and look fantastic. And if you watched him run around every day in practice, you would say this guy is ready to play. Now, there's a difference, I guess, and we learned, between looking great in Berea and feeling ready to go in Arrowhead Stadium against the Chiefs. And I think you have to listen to Odell. And if Odell says, hey, coach, I'm only ready to give you five snaps or whatever he told Stefanski. Um, he told him he wasn't ready for the workload that the Browns needed him to have. And therefore the decision was made to, you know, have him inactive. And, you know, is there a mental hurdle that Odell needs to get over coming back from the ACL? Probably. Is that hurdle going to have to come in a game? Probably because they're not going to tackle him in practice, right? They're not going to hit him in practice. Um, cause that's just silly. So at some point Odell's going to have to feel comfortable enough physically and mentally to say, yes. I'm ready to go do this. And it could come week two. It could get come Sunday against the Texans because the Browns believe he's close and that he'll be back soon, whether that's week two, week three, week four. I don't know. Um, I guess my point is I should have paid more attention to maybe the human element of it or the fact that Jarvis Landry said, yeah, we're not going to rush Odell back. When we talked to Odell, the only time we talked to Odell, was it is youth football camp for like four and a half minutes right before training camp. And he said, I'm not, I'm going to, we're going at my own pace. We're running my own race. If it's week one, if it's week 17, whenever everyone feels I'm ready to go. Um, now I assume that it changed because he looked so good and was doing some team drills and first up in individual drills, but there's a hurdle there that he feels he needs to still get over. Um, and he wasn't ready for he wasn't he wasn't ready to clear that hurdle before Kansas City, which surprised me. I think it probably overall surprised the organization, although you know he was listed as questionable, and I think they were worried that or not worried, but they knew in the back of their minds that he might not be ready to go after that pregame warm up. Um, but I also think that that's you know why Anthony Schwartz had the role he had is because there was not Odell wasn't out there. Yeah, don't beat yourself up over this, uh, Scott. <laughs> You're not alone. And, and listen, Odell's a tough guy to cover and, and follow. And it's just, believe me, there'll be something else as the year goes on. It, 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 always, it always does with him. So, And I know this is an injury, but I guess here's my point. He is always a storyline, bottom line. There's, there's no doubt. Always- and there's no doubt. And I've stood up for Odell, and I'll probably continue to stand up for him. But – you're right. There's always something in whether it's drama or whether it's, I mean, and I'm not even saying he creates that drama. Some of it, he does. Um, this is probably, you know, I don't think it's fair to say he created this drama. It's just that he's Odell and he has such a big impact in addition to being such a big name that you always, you're focused on him. And like I said, the expectations were that he was going to play. And even when you talk to teammates outside of Jarvis, it sure sounded like he was going to play. So I, I think there was some level of surprise that he didn't. Um, but big picture, not being out there week one is not the end of the world. You know, if they get 15, 14, 16 good games out of Odell, um, 
and he stays healthy, that's certainly considered a win. Yeah. Don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but Landry looked good. Schwartz, you talked a lot about him. Higgins, mm-hmm. though, not a lot of plays. People Jones, a lot of plays, but not a lot of targets. Yeah. No, yeah. Higgins, you know, Higgins just, he doesn't have the speed element of Schwartz. He doesn't speed element of DPJ or the size of DPJ. Um, so therefore he's fourth or fifth on that receiver rotation. And there's just not any, that, not that many snaps for that guy. Now, if there's a key injury, you can put him out there and you can trust him. And we've seen that time and again, but I don't think you're going to see Higgins have a big role unless there's a big injury. I just think there's too many guys in front of him, too many guys with special skills. Now I was surprised that people's Jones only had the one catch. It was a big catch um, on that last drive was out there a bunch. Now you, you know, if you made the argument that Higgins should get some of DPJ snaps and maybe they split those, you know, I probably wouldn't fight you a bunch, but I would also argue that DPJ is a better player than Higgins and has a much bigger upside and has better speed and better size and all those reasons why the Browns coaches played people's Jones ahead of Higgins. So I, I would probably get used to Higgins not having a big role. I would, I would think that people's Jones will catch more balls as we go throughout this year. Um, and then while we're talking about people's Jones and then Schwartz, like I said, I think he played the Odell role, but they will always find whatever, whether it's eight, 10, 15, 20, they'll find enough snaps to make his speed a threat and part of the game plan because his speed is that special and it showed up right away. But why we got DPJ real quick. I hope people understand on that punt at the end of the first half, he lets it drop at the five, which that's fine. You're supposed to let the punt fall at the five and you hope it bounces in the end zone. Did the right thing there. And then as soon as a Chiefs player touches the ball, People's Jones can pick it up with no risk at all. So everybody going, what's he doing back there? He did the right thing. The rule is if the punting team touches the ball first, then the kicking team can pick the ball up. And if People's Jones fumbled, if whatever happened, it would revert back to uh, the one-yard line, Brown's ball wherever it was that the Chiefs touched it. So even if he picked it up and ran for 85 yards and fumbled, it would go back to the one. There's no, there's no negative that can happen. If he picks it up and runs for 30 yards, then the Browns get the ball at the 31-yard line. So he did the right thing. It's a little-known rule. I, I think it was Butch Davis, but it might have been Eric Mangini, one time lectured us in a post-game press conference about that specific rule, and I'll never forget it because I did not know the rule at the time. And it's been ingrained in my head since, but apparently if you look at Twitter, not enough people know that rule. So he was in the right. I'm not sure he's, you know, the punt return of the future. Um, you know, he didn't show me enough in that role last year, but nothing he did on that play was the wrong thing. Well, that's surprising because we know Twitter is so right about everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, real quick injuries. So where are we at there? Yeah. A good break with Jedrick Wills. Um, it sounds like a low ankle sprain. Um, Stefanski listed him, called him day to day. Now it looked worse when he went down, right? He limped off, they carted him out, you know, they drove him on the cart to the locker room. I went back and watched it. He just stepped on a player, you know, it looked like a basketball injury. He's, he's pulling out in space and he steps on Thornhill and the, the ankle turns. Hopefully it's not a high ankle. If it's day to day, you know, I mean, Stefanski gets a little loose when he says stuff's day to day. 
Um, but hopefully it's the low or the mid ankle sprain and not the high ankle sprain that would keep you out for weeks. If you play a, you know, skill position, maybe you can play through it on the offensive line. Um, so I think it's, you know, right now it's questionable whether or not he plays against the Texans. If not, you got Chris Hubbard, who you don't want playing every game at left tackle, but he can fill in fine. He gave up one sack um, on Sunday, but I thought overall played well. So, you know, they, it's, they came out of the game about as healthy as they can, and now you hope Odell comes back, and you hope Grant Delpit comes back, whether it's this week or pretty soon. All right, let's talk about the Texans for a couple minutes here before we finish up. Uh, I, I mean, the Jags are bad, but I, I still was kind of shocked that the Texans won 37-21. to 21. Um, Does that put fear in me for Sunday? No, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, are the Texans a team we should be concerned about? What, what, what are we looking at with them? No, I mean, I'm with you. I thought the Jaguars would beat the Texans because the Texans have been so dysfunctional. Um, yeah. You know, from Deshaun Watson to the front office to, to everything. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a nod to their head coach who's been criticized often and people didn't think, you know, he was the right guy for the job or maybe he's the only guy that would take that job. But to have your team ready to go week one, and obviously they played hard for him, is a credit to him. But, you know, we, you see a lot of corrections in week two in the NFL, right? Teams that lose week one that shouldn't come back in one week two and the other way around. This feels like a correction game for both sides. I mean, I think the Browns are 12 or 12 and a half point favorites. Uh, it's a big line. When it was I, 12. I looked this morning and it's 11 and a half. Okay. It's still, I think, top two or three lines. It spreads in the league this week. Um, you know, I, that sounds about right. Uh, you know, I expect the Browns to win. You got to be careful of Tyrod Taylor, right? We saw him here in 2018 before he got hurt and Baker replaced him. But he's a veteran guy. Obviously, he can move around. They can run. He can run so they can do some option stuff. They can um, – you know, use him as a running threat. You got to be careful of him escaping the pocket. They have a couple playmakers, Brandon Cooks, you know, um, I think had a big catch Sunday. But, you know, this feels like a game that the Browns should win. But I know Kevin Stefanski doesn't want him to think that way. And, you know, he called him, he mentioned the Texans being 1-0 and right after the game in his press conference. So I, I think you have to, you know, the Browns coming off a loss, they should have no reason to, let down. It's still early in the year. There should no reason to look past anybody. Um, but I'm sure Kevin Stefanski is guarding against that because when the season started, I, I thought the Texans would be the worst team in the league, and they still might end up that way. But they're one and zero, and the Browns are on one. How many people do you think know who the Texans' head coach is? Yeah, well, on account of I didn't really feel comfortable even saying his name, I'm going to go with a huge. <laughs> I'm going to go with a huge percentage of the population. It is David Culley, and I would have gotten that correct if I just said it off the top of my head without Googling it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think many people know it's David Culley. All right, well, I'm just going to be honest because I take, I take a lot of pride in not getting caught off guard. I try to know or at least pretend to know. Someone asked me yesterday who the Texans head coach was, and I blanked. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't think of it. Yeah. You know, because I, yeah. I was thinking O'Brien, right? Right, right. And uh, I just – I guess it just goes to show how much about the Texans I just don't really care about. And yeah. I just – I mean, besides fantasy football, I'm basically staying away from anyone. Uh, you know, they're just 
but they were impressive. I mean, they get the win, like you said. I was shocked, 37-21. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Is this Sunday a must-win? <sighs> no, it's not. But, it's, but I mean, I, I thought about that. And it, it, obviously, it's way too early to must-win. <laughs> I mean, they play 15 games after this. But, yeah, but hold on a second, it's though. It's a big game. We, we, we've said in the past that when they were 0-1, they needed to – that we've called the must wins because when you start 0 and 2, you know what 0 and 2 right. can turn into. And I mean, could you imagine the embarrassment of this is a team that's supposed to be able to go to the Super Bowl and you lose to the Texans Correct. at home in week two? I mean, I, I think you could make an argument that it is. I well, I mean, I get I get everything you're saying, and I'm not I'm not disputing any of it. What I would argue is, I guess how I would how I would frame it is. If they lose this game, things are going to get real tough for the Browns. Kevin Stefanski will become, you know, come under the microscope. Fans will have a different reaction than they had losing to the Chiefs, right? All of a sudden, then panic or at least deep worry starts to set in. Now, they could still finish 11 and 6 or 12 and 5. I mean, there's 15 games left. It's a long season, but that would make you question some of the things about this team, right? Depending on how the game went, whatever. But yeah, it feels like a game they should win. If they don't, we're going to have to recalibrate how we feel about this team. Now, having said that, I mean, I feel just like I did going into week one. I thought they would lose by three points to the Chiefs and lost by four points. They look pretty good. So, uh, you know, th- that's the thing about this the NFL. And it's, it's the great part. And it's also the worst part is, you want to jump to every conclusion after one game, right? The Bills think <laughs> right. the Steelers are great. I mean, we could go, you know, the Bengals are going to be awesome. Like, you got to let things settle. You have to let, let things settle in a little bit. The um, Raiders are great. The Ravens exactly. are down. Right. Lamar yeah. fumbles twice. I mean, you know, you have to let it play out. And part of that is preconceived notions, right? I think the Browns are going to be good. So I still think they're going to be good. And nothing week one made me, th- you know, doubt that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an important game. I think they need to win it to start their drive, right? Start the drive for the rest of the season begins with the first win. It should come in week two. Um, but I'm not willing to quite say must win. Should. I know. I know. I think for drama, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. You, you, you said it pretty well. I, I think the way you, you summed it up. The thing is when I'm on TV, I don't have enough time to sum it up that way. So I have to throw out, buzzwords like must you know right but I hear you. anyway I, I so i i guess i it's not a must win because i think they have enough talent that they could overcome an and two start but you said it so well it's more of like a mental thing and how like you'll feel about this team and and then you'll start to wonder wait a minute is it is it not the case but i think right. watching that first half against kansas city i think i feel pretty comfortable in a prediction this week so let's get to predictions okay uh, last week, man, uh, we both got it right. We both picked Kansas City. You were closer. You picked by three. I went by ten. But uh, bottom line is, we I, I think the game was pretty much right where we thought because we yeah. both picked Kansas City to score thirty-four. So we were we were right in the what one point off there. So I'll go first. Uh, I will go ahead unless you want to go first. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I just can't imagine a loss. They're favored by 11 and a half or 12, whatever. It, by the time you, we're taping this on Tuesday, I'm sure it's going to change again. Listen, it's the NFL. Anything can happen. But I just can't imagine the Browns 
losing this game. And I'm going to go, it feels like a 31 to 17 win for the Browns. I'm going to go with that and say they cover. Sure. Could they not cover? Absolutely. Could you think crazy things happen in the NFL, but I'll go 31, 17. Then you wonder how does Houston score 17? Well, maybe cooks <laughs> burns the defense for a long one. Uh, you know, you could have a fumble returned. I don't know how they get them, right. but they get them. And the fact they scored 37 last week, I'll give them 17. So I'll go 31, 17 and the Browns are one and one. Chud, let me first say disclaimer. My official pick will come over the weekend because there's a lot of time between now and the game, right? But I'm fine giving a quote-unquote preliminary prediction. I just want to give myself some wiggle room. Um, yeah. Being around being around the team, you know, if injuries crop up, whatever. But we're always allowed to change. I think I can you. be allowed to change. I can change as well, right? Yes, but I can. feel like, yeah, okay. But it's but I want to I want to put it out there. It's an early, an early call. Um, yes. I'm, I'm going 31-17 too. That was, that was the first score that popped into my head. <laughs> I'm not going to change it just because you said it. Um, you know, when you, talk about, when you talk about how the Texans can score 17, I mean, team score in this league, right? I mean, there's a bunch of good players. I mean, we talk about, and I know the Chiefs are a special animal, but you see it throughout the league. Like, teams come back. Teams don't, you know, it's not like a team gets up in the first half and then all, they just double the score in the second half. It's not high school football. Like, the NFL teams always, like, they make some kind of push, you know? I mean, 95% or 90% of the time, whatever that stat is. So, you know, they'll probably score. I don't think the Browns are going to pitch a shutout, but I do think the Browns are going to score. Uh, I think they'll continue to score. And if Odell comes back, um, which I would, you know, put probably above 50-50 chance, you know, now I'd probably go 75 or I don't know, 65% Terrible. chance, 65% chance Odell plays. <laughs> you know, he sparks the offense. He brings something to it. He probably scores a touchdown because they're trying to get him the ball. Um, the atmosphere will be great inside the stadium. If, you know, that helps the pass rush, Miles Garrett could go off and have one of those three or four sack games. Uh, Jadavion Clowney's playing his old team, even though, you know, nobody's there anymore. Most guys aren't there, but maybe he gets a couple of sacks. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like this is a quote-unquote comfortable win for the Browns. And they get back to week one, you kind of settle into the season, um, and then you take it week by week after that. You, but you do need that first win for everybody to exhale. Absolutely. And we did not talk about those scores beforehand. That's we did not. Funny. No. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, thanks, Chud. I think this was another back-to-back strong podcast. I know I'm biased, but that's my opinion. And uh, we'll get a string of them going. Maybe have another 20, 21, 22 um, and take us through the playoffs here. So uh, that'll be a wrap. We'll see you again next week. Thank you so much, Dave Chodowski. And this has been another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. And you can read all my work on brownzone.com. Thanks a lot.